Good morning. Let me bring the lights up a little bit in the house just so I can see everyone. There you are. You can see me, but I'm like trying to see you. How's everybody doing? All right. If you're new, woo is the universal sound for I'm doing great. How are you? If you have your Bibles this morning, hold them really tight in front of you, and uh, because we're going to be kind of all over in about five different passages, so um, you can flip there really quick if you like your translation better than mine, but mine's more spiritual than yours, so no, I'm just kidding, uh, but it'll be up on the screen if you need it, so um, all but one of the passages that we're going to cover, which is going to be in Second Kings, you'll need that one. Kids, you're dismissed. Yes, thank you. Michelle? Yeah, somebody give Michelle a mic so she can... There you go. So cool. I get to watch it snow while I preach. You guys get to watch me watch the snow. And uh, so anyway, that's pretty exciting. Everybody just turn around and look at it real quick. Ooh, ah. How many of you are from a place where it snows regularly? Yeah, like half of you. How many of you are from a place where it never snows? The other half. Now we're all from Texas. It does both in the same week. It's going to where you sunbathe later this week. And today, everybody's like, doesn't even know what to do, so I love it. Our kids pray for snow every winter, and uh, that's probably why it snows in t- Central Texas, because children pray for it. So if you ever need your prayer answered, just slip your prayer request to a kid. All right. Anybody struggle with hope this past week? Not a per- like if you know someone named Hope, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, my roommate, Hope, she's so nuts. <laughs> like, that's not what I meant. But how many of you have felt a feeling that you would describe as hopelessness in the last week, too, even in the last year? Be honest. It's okay. So have I. Okay. So the Lord spoke to me a little bit about hope the last couple weeks and about looking closely at what the Bible says hope is. Because I think a lot of the time, uh, our, our English language, along with our culture, can really convolute true meaning behind hope. And so when we read a scripture about hope, and we put a modern-day translation on a word, we actually miss the original intention of what the Lord is meaning to convey through his word. So sometimes we've got to go back, and it's very simple, and just kind of look and say, Lord, what does that mean? What did you mean when you said that? How many of you guys know this, the song that this line came from? The, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Uh, I can't, but it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. How many of you know that song? On Christ, the solid rock I stand, right? It, on all the other ground is sinking sand. I, I, that song came to my mind this week. We used to sing it a lot when I was a kid. But I thought, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If that could always be true for every single one of us, this message would not be necessary this morning. It'd be like a big waste of time, right? We could just go play in the snow. That song came to my mind. I thought, Lord, how can we set our hope wholly on you all the time? I know nothing else. Not 70% Jesus' blood, 30% man. Not 90% Jesus' blood, 10% man. Not 99%. You see where I'm going? 100%. 
let our hope be built on your blood and righteousness, Lord. A biblical definition of hope, when you study out the, um, the word, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, has this idea of confident expectation, not wishful thinking. So it's not like, oh, I really hope I get a bike for Christmas, or you're just wishing. It'd, it'd be like, I'm getting a bike for Christmas. I have hope that I'm getting a bike for Christmas. It's this sort of like, sort of cocky, arrogant, that's what we would describe it as now, but that's actually, in the word of God, it means confident expectation. One of the root words where we get the word hope from actually has uh, the meaning of, of to wait upon, okay? So it's the same word that we, we, or the same word that's used to develop that phrase or that word that would mean to wait upon. And so the idea of hoping involves time. The idea of hoping, if you have what you're hoping for, then you're hoping no longer, right? Okay, so if I, if I really, if I, like I hoped for a wife and I got married, well, I don't hope for a wife anymore because I don't need to. I've got one, okay? The best one, haha. But uh, yours is, yours are, your wives are good too, but they're, they're not my wife, so. <laughs> Preach. What I want to do so you get this idea. I'm going to say that phrase a lot, confident expectation. Okay, I want, us to, I want us to correlate when we hear the word hope, when we say the word hope, when we pray and ask, Lord, we need hope. Lord, I feel hopeless. I want us to think biblical. Okay, I want us to think confident expectation, not wishful thinking. Okay, there's nothing wrong. By the way, there's nothing wrong with the English way that we use the word hope. It fits. We understand what people are saying. We say, oh, man. I really hope that Alabama crushes Ohio State tomorrow, right? I mean, that's good. But I also have the biblical hope that Alabama is going to crush Ohio State tomorrow. It's confident expectation. <laughs> Flag on the play. All right. Sloan and I are such good friends. We love such drastically different teams, but I love that they're playing each other tomorrow because it's excellence versus excellence. So may the best team win. Roll Tide. <laughs> Romans 15, 13. I'm going to go through and I'm going to take you through a few verses in Scripture that talk about hope to draw a few things out that are good takeaways. Uh, so it's basically just to help wrap our mind around what the Bible says about hope, to inundate us with, with hope, 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 hope. Oh, I get it now because I've heard it in so many different contexts, so many different uh, uh, applications. But then I'm actually going to take you through a story in the Old Testament uh, and, and show you how we can actually relate this concept of hope. It's like, okay, yeah, I understand what hope is. How do I apply it, right? How do I become more hopeful? What do I hope in? How do I place my hope where it's supposed to be? Because I always like the how. I told Zeb last night, or maybe it was this morning. No, I told him last night. I said, I said, Zeb, I don't like it when people tell me, hey, go do something, but, but they're, and, it's, and it's really ambiguous, and it's like, like, hey, cheer up. And I'm like, okay, how should I cheer up? Well, I don't know, just, just cheer up. Like, no, let's have some action steps. What can I do? So I, Zeb asked me last night, Dad, how do I? And I said, Zeb, here's your action steps. And he appreciated that because he's wired like me, poor guy. So <laughs> Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love this verse. Could have spent the entire time on this one verse. What I love about it is, is that Jesus, that God, is described as the God of hope. 
okay? Jesus, the God of confident expectation, okay? If he is, and he is, the God of confident expectation, then he's worthy of us placing our hope in him, okay? If he embodies it, right, if he's the God of love, then he's worth loving, and we're worth being loved on by him. If he's the God of hope, then it's worth placing our confident expectation in him, okay, because it originates with him, okay? That's, that's awesome. The God of hope wants to fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him, okay, always look for the conditions in these verses, right? As we are placing our trust in him, he wants to fill us with all hope and peace, or with all joy and peace, so that we can overflow in hope, okay? He's the God of abundance, so he doesn't want you to have just enough hope. He doesn't want you to wait until the gas pump automatically shuts off. He wants to wait until it spews out of the tank because you put too much in. You understand? He's the God of overflow, right? Psalm 23, your cup overflows, that's just, that's just how he is and who he is and how he likes to do things. Deal with it. Be thankful. But do you see the progression? Do you see the progression in the verse? It's, we, we flip a few things to get it in the correct order, but he wants to fill us as we're trusting. Okay, that's the first thing. He wants to fill us with joy and peace. As we are filled with joy and peace, we overflow with hope. But it's all rooted in him because he's the God of hope. You see that? All right. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31, says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those whose hope is in the Lord, or those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. This is one of those verses. There's several of these in Scripture. This is one of those verses where there's promises in it, but it's one of those verses where the inverse is true also. Let's just read it like this, where those who do not hope in the Lord, or you might say those whose hope is placed elsewhere, will stay tired and weary. And they'll run and grow very weary and walk and be faint. We've, we've probably been there, yeah? You, take, you know, we get in the flesh. Our hope is placed in what we can do, our abilities. I have confident expectation that I'm the best I've ever seen. No one's ever, you know, well... <laughs> Maybe somebody said that, but we definitely behave like that, right? We say, hey, I got this, especially guys. We have, right? I got this. I got this. I have confident expectation in my ability. I have confident expectation in my bank account. I don't need to trust the Lord for finances because I've got such and such amount of money saved up, so I'm good. I've got confident expectation in our leaders. I've got confident expectation. Well, these are all, this is all misplaced hope. When our hope is misplaced, we will become discouraged, disappointed, disenchanted, confused, and hopeless. But the good news is, is that it's easily realigned, okay? Place that hope in the correct source of our hope, desire realized. All right, Psalm 33, verses 18 through 22, says, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. How many of you want the eyes of the Lord on you? Yes. To deliver them from death, verse 19, to deliver them from death and keep them, from, and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. What I love about... This entire psalm, actually, Psalm 33, is great. Um, 
do you ever hear anybody say, like, this psalm's, like, okay? Like, they're all great, but, I mean, like, especially for this time and in this hour, Psalm 33 is great. Um, but one of the things I want to just point out here really quick is the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Um, again, there's a condition, right? Why? It doesn't feel like the Lord sees me. Are you fearing him or are you fearing man? Right? Meet the condition. Uh, the, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Is your hope in his unfailing love or is your hope in the, in the Republican Party? Or is your hope in, in your employer that he's going to make it through the shutdowns? Or is your hope in your ability? To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. It doesn't say that those who hope in the Lord never experience famine. It says they're kept alive in famine. He's right there with us. Yea, though I walk through, say it with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He doesn't take us around the valley. Right straight through the middle with him. So we can get to the other side. It's kind of a better war story, though, right? Like tell, if telling war stories and tests like last week, the memorial stones, when we're telling our kids, is it, a, is it a cooler testimony to be like, hey, we never had to do anything hard God totally spared us from all fighting. God totally spared us from all uh, confrontation. God totally spared us from everything. Or is it good to sit around with your kids and be like, you want me to tell you a time when I almost died? Or when God, God saved me? Do you want me to tell you a time when, when uh, we lost everything and then God gave us everything? Or do you want me to tell you a time, you want me to tell you a time when, uh, when people slandered me in front of everyone? And then I smiled, and, you know, and, then, and then it ended up that God tore them down and raised me up instead. It's like the opposite. Do you want me to tell you that? That's so much more fun, okay? I have lots of friends that have been in the military, lots of friends that were, that were or are in, in war in Iraq and war in Afghanistan. And some of them, I mean, God, they're all, they're all heroes to me, and they're all, you know, hard workers and amazing veterans. Some of them have had jobs in the military that were like, yeah, I just monitored stuff on a computer. And I'm like, that's legit. We need that. It's just not as fun of a story as the guys that are like, oh, yeah, this one time our tank blew up. And, uh, and, and you're just like <gasps> locked in, you know, because you're like, this is so much more intense. But it's the same thing here. The Lord walks us through these intense things, and it makes for a much better story on the other side. It's not why he does it. I mean, he, he, does, he likes to brag on himself, but he doesn't need to. Yeah. All right. Sorry, the rabbit trail. Come on back, Nate. All right. Um, I told you that one of the roots that we get the word hope from means to wait upon, and it's not easy to wait sometime, right? It's like, no, it's totally easy. We love waiting. We love patience, right? You don't. You hate waiting. It's so funny. We sing so many songs about waiting on the Lord, and we suck at waiting on the Lord. Like, strength will rise as we wait. Is this song over yet? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Right? I'm serious. It's like, oh, we used to sing, we used to sing a song called Meet With Me. I'm here to meet with you. Come. And the song is like, as I wait, you make me strong. And then we're done, and we're just like, man, Lord's just not showing up. Man, Lord's just not, oh. Like, I was praying for like 15 seconds, and like nothing happened. Oh, man. We need to learn how to wait. I think hope, I think there's a principle here. This is the book of Nate. But I think there's a principle that that. The, the more we learn how to wait on the Lord, the greater our hope will become, okay? 
That's probably just a principle. I don't have a verse for that. But I would say that because of the meanings of the word, that the, the greater we are at waiting, the greater you'll be at hoping and, and keeping your hope placed in the things where your hope can be placed confidently. Remember, confident expectation. So you have to be able to know that what you are confidently expecting won't let you down. And when it's, when it's centered in on Jesus' blood and righteousness, when it's centered on the God of hope, you will not be disappointed. You can't be. Right. Last one, and then we'll get into the story here. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. I don't like just ripping verses like this out of their total, out of their context and being like, you know, and just kind of using them. But w- the reason why we can use this is because God's speaking to his kids in this passage, okay? Telling them while they're exiled, saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to do life while you're here might be temporary, but I want you to do life. And he said, and this is what he gets to this. He says, because I have plans to prosper you. This isn't the end for you. I have plans not to harm you. I have plans to give you a hope, a confident expectation, and a future. You can take that as, as a word from the Lord because he gave it to his children. And you can take it. The Lord himself wants us full of hope. It's in his heart for us to be overflowing with confident expectation that is correctly placed in him. Is this making sense? Okay. It's always good news. <laughs> Second Kings, if you want to turn there, chapter 4. I'm not going to read the entire story. It's a little long. Um, I'll read some of it, and then I'll sum the rest of it up. This is a story of the Shunammite's son. Do you guys remember this story, some of you? It's a good story. Um, but I want to read it to you in the context of hope. Okay, and confident expectation and show you how good our God is because this, this is meant to be, I hope it lands like this, but this is meant to be a great encouragement for us to if our hope has been misaligned or misplaced, there, that's, there's nothing to be condemned for over that at all. Whereas we're going to see in this story, the God of grace is just waiting right here next to you to go, here I am, start again. Just place your hope in me. It's fine. He doesn't, doesn't come with a sword to try to tear down all your, eh, eh, why, are you look, why are you looking there? Why did you place your hope there? That's just not how he is. He's coming, and he's saying, I love you. Kyle, I love you. Let's, let's refocus the hope. But he comes, and he proves that he's worthy of it. That's how good he is. You're going to see it in this story, and you see it in your own life. Today, if you realize that your hope has been placed in an election, if your hope has been placed in some sort of decision that a man can make or not make, in some sort of judicial system, judicial system, if it's based in, if it's based in any man and any woman, in any system other than Jesus Christ, it's misplaced. All right. Starting in verse eight, it says, "One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped to eat there." And she said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way as a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof, put a bed in it, table, a chair, a lamp, some internet, and then he can stay here whenever he comes with us. That's what missionaries need now. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he laid down. He said to his servant, Gazi, call the the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, 
I have a home among my own people. Well, what can be done for her, Elijah asked. And Gehazi said, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. And about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. Stop right there. This woman, okay, you kind of see the scene. She's well-to-do. Her husband's old. She doesn't have a kid, right? So she decides she wants to host Elisha whenever he comes into town, makes a bed for him on the top floor. They're like, great. He comes into town. He's super blessed by the hospitality, and he says, what can we do for you? Which is a great, it's great to have a prophet owe you one, right? (laughs) If that were you, wouldn't you be like, get a word for me? You would. But you'd say it in a real Christianese. You'd be like, if you're ever like praying and you like hear anything from like, I mean, I mean, I hear myself all the time. But like, if you hear anything, just know that there's an open, you know, you can always tell me. That's what you would do. But in the, in, inside, you're thinking like, tell me about my life. Tell me about my future. Tell me what my husband's name's going to be. Tell me what my, how many kids I'm going to have, how much money I'm going to... You know, that's what you're thinking, okay? So it's good to have a prophet owe you one, but she doesn't... She says no. She goes, I have everything I need. She's just real... But we see here, as soon as... It's so funny because prophet Elisha, he's like, I'm going to give her something anyways, right? Prophesized a child. Why? Well, because in that culture... It just is implied that that's what you want. You, you want a son. Carry on the family name. You want a son to, to raise up. You want a son. And she doesn't have one. And so he says, this time next year, you'll have a son. And she gets a little offended. Don't mislead me. And you see right there that she had given up hope for that already. She had hope and had come to a place of, if, if I may use the term, she had hardened her heart to that idea and said, I'm going to learn to be content without it. And it was a false humility because she hadn't placed her hope in the correct place. She'd placed it in either her husband's ability or her own ability to make a child. I don't know. My guess is that maybe she got married a little later and the husband was already too old. I don't know. Maybe she'd had trouble bearing children. I don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't matter. What matters is that she had a hope and it was hope deferred made her heart sick, and she had already been to the other side of healing and basically got mad at Elisha saying, don't you dare bring that up again. Don't you bring that up again. We're not going there. Okay? Where did we leave off? Thank you. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother, and after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and then shut the door and went out, called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. He said, why go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. They saddled the donkey, said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, it's the Shunammite. Run to her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Obviously, Elisha felt 
a, a debt to this woman. He was extremely grateful for their hospitality, extremely grateful for the blessing that they had been when he's traveling. Everything is all right, she said. Why did she say that? Everything was not all right. Her son had just died. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Ghazi came over to push her away, but he said, it's okay, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. That's how you know that you're close with the Lord. When you're surprised when you don't know something in advance. Elisha was shocked. He's like, I have no idea why she's upset. I always know why people are upset. <laughs> he didn't know. This is, this is God's goodness, though, right here. Because I believe that she couldn't get to the point where I think that, where I'm about to tell you that she was getting had she come to Elisha and he already known what was going on. Okay? She needed to come and, and hit rock bottom. When she reached the man, oh, I'm sorry, I already read that. Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. Verse 28, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She's mad. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff, and run. If you meet anyone, don't greet him, and if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But a child's mother, the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. And Gazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So he went back to Elisha and told him, the boy is not awakened. When Elisha reached the house... There was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door, and the two of them prayed to the Lord. He got on the bed, laid on him, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand, stretched himself out on him, and the boy's body grew warm. He turned away and walked back and forth in the room and got up on the bed and stretched out again once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did, and when she came, he said, Take your son. She came in and fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, took her son and went out. This woman's hope was placed in, in like the things of this world, in circumstances, okay? When she realized that she couldn't have children anymore, she, she, her, her hope had been placed in her ability to have kids or her husband's ability to have kids. And it was, and she got let down. And so she hardened her heart and said, I'm never going to get my hopes up for this again. I'm never going to confidently expect a child because her hope was misplaced. You can't confidently expect our bodies to always work right. It just let you down. Did your body ever let you down? <laughs> yes. <laughs> God's grace met her right where she was at, though. Hopeless and misplaced hope at best. Met her where she was because he had plans to give her hope in a future. I think it's safe to say this, and this is what I want to tell you. No matter where your hope is placed, if you replace it, realign it to hope in the Lord, to hope in Jesus' blood and righteousness, that his grace is right there to cover that move, that shift. And he's not there, he's there to, to rescue whatever's been killed, whether it's dream, right, confidence, joy, whether it's love, whatever it is, he's going to restore it, just like he restored this boy's life. And then, by inference, we know that this lady knew where to correctly place her hope, that her hope was now to be built on nothing less than Yahweh, right? Because it's Second Kings, Yahweh and his righteousness. Her hope was now placed in the one who gave her son life in the first place 
and then who resurrected him from the dead. And she knew that she could no longer place her hope in her ability as a mom to raise him, in his ability as a boy to stay healthy and stay not hurt, that that hope will fail. And even the hope that she had in Elisha was misplaced. As he went, as she went to him, and he had no idea what was going on. This is the same guy who prophesied, you're going to have a son, and he was right. Now all of a sudden when I go back to him for an answer, he's clueless. Her hope could not be in a man, even if he was a man of God. Her hope had to be in the one speaking through the man. And she realized that, and that's what I want you to walk away with today. Confident expectation in the, one, in the author, in the one who speaks through the man of God, in the one who actually brings the promises. That's where your confidence, that's where your hope can be placed with assurance. If you've had any sort of hope in government or elections or in a vaccine, don't even get me started, or in medical professionals, stay-at-home orders, masks, media, time. How many of you had hope in time? Oh, with enough time, this will blow over. That was me. That was me. I went, I can wait it out. I can wait it out. I hope in time. My hope was in time. If your hope's been in any person, it's been grossly misplaced. But there's a great grace to realign this morning. There's a great grace to realign hope and hope in the one where your confident expectation can be confidently placed, Jesus Christ. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Who needs a new douse of strength? Great. Now who wants one? Okay? Everyone. Let's fight. Let's put off putting our hope in the wrong thing. Worship team, you guys can come up. We're going to need a fresh outpouring of supernatural power. Okay, it's, um, I believe that realigning our hope, realigning our confident expectation to be placed in Jesus alone will set us up to receive the type of power that we need for this revival that is upon us. Okay? The, uh, an action step I wanted to share with you about kind of how to do this, how do we kind of keep our hope, because it's one thing to get your hope aligned, it's another thing to keep it aligned, right? There's a little book, I brought it. Actually, let me just grab it real quick. Anybody ever seen this book? The Jesus Person Promise Book by David Wilkerson? Did you give this to me? <laughs> I think, I'm looking at you going, this, I'm pretty sure Kathy gave this to me years ago. Um, this is, it's just basically it lists, it's scripture verses that are promises from God. There's like eight, 900 of them in here. And they're uh, situated in here topically. This is just a tool, but it's, it's something I use, right? And I'm struggling with something. I open it up. And uh, let's see, this, there's a topic. God honors holiness. And there's all these promises from scripture about how he, how he honors holiness, right? God blesses clean conversation. All these verses in here about that. Do you need peace of mind? Here's all these promises. And I just preach them to myself. It's just scripture. There's nothing else in here. It's just the Bible. And, and so it's like, are you often tempted? Here's a bunch of verses and promises. And you just go through here, and I go, and that helps me. It helps remind me of where my hope should be placed because he's not just the promise maker, he's the promise keeper right? All his promises are what? Yes and amen to the glory of God the Father, right? In him. 
So this is just, this is a tool that's worked really well for me, reminding myself of the promises. And that all this does is simplify, this is, easy, this is easier than Google. This is easier, I'm serious, because it's all just, it's like booms, like right here, and they're all lined up, all lined up. There's a table of contents, right? It's just so easy to use. So that's, that's just one tool I use. But it helps me to keep, it helps me not to hope in the wrong thing. It helped me this year, I missed it with time. I realized later that my hope was in time. I, I didn't have hope in, in people. But I, but I did have it in time, and that's where it was misplaced with me. So it's, it's possible to still miss it, but God is so gracious to come and, and, and raise what's dead anyways, even if our hope was misplaced. Guys, revival is here. Okay, we've been not just been saying it, but been seeing it. I mean, some of you were down at the worship rally yesterday downtown when Sean Foyt came, and and it's amazing to see the remnant out loving Jesus like never before. It's amazing to be a part of of the people that will not let a virus that has a near 100% survival rate stop them from preaching the gospel. Guys, this is this is sad news that. But I'm going to follow it up with good news. So I like to end on a high note. That there's, that only 30 or 40% of churches in America are meeting right now. And of the ones that are meeting, their attendance is drastically down. Not all of them, but many of them. We've seen so many believers, pastors, leaders that have placed hope in comfort, that have placed their hope in experience, have placed their hope in savings accounts and medicine and a whole bunch of other unstable things like city governments and state governments and leaders. They've placed their hope there. And when the rubber met the road, all that shines through and you see where your hope is placed. And you see where you're found. You see if you stand on sinking sand or on the solid rock. Solid rock won't sink. The sand does. We need nothing hindering us as we move forward. There's enough against us. We don't need to be against ourselves, which is why these messages on, on alignment, on focus, and on fighting, on contending, because we have to be so, so zoned in to what the Lord is saying and what the Lord is doing. There's already enough voice. There's already too many voices and too much noise. So when we, I think that's one of the messages that's in here with hope today is that is that hope is a weapon. When we have confident expectation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a lot more apt to be, not just the promise of I will find new strength, but I'm going to be a lot more apt to fight the good fight of faith when I have confident expectation that I'm not fighting in vain and that everything that I'm doing is worth it, effective, and making a real difference. As the Lord continues to pour out revival, we have to steward it. We, ha- we can't crush under the pressure of newness and change. I think that if our hope isn't placed in Him, that when this ne- next outpouring really increases, we'll be offended. 
if, if we're hoping in, hey, it's going to look like what I've seen it look like before. I saw that YouTube video, read that book. I, and when the Lord shows up and goes, well, actually, I'm the God of uh, never-ending change. I'm the same yesterday and to, today and forever, but I'm doing a new thing now, something you've never seen. I think if, if our hope was placed on on being comfortable, on knowing, if our hope is based on knowledge, if our hope is based on past experience, we'll be grossly offended and disappointed. If our hope is in the Lord, and we can say, Lord, I'm confident in you. I don't get it, but I'm confident in you. This confuses me, but you don't. Then we're not going to be offended and we'll be able to handle the outpouring, which is in his heart for us to do. All right. Does that land well? Does that make sense? Good. Okay. Thank you, Lord. We're going to worship what we do well, right? I want you guys to stand, please, if you can. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit. you ask him just to yourself just ask him if if your hope has been misplaced let him show you let him bring to you if something pops into your mind that you've been hoping for like where you were disappointed that's how you know where your where your hope was you look at disappointments and you say well what what was i expecting and then you could see where your hope was placed ask him to show you and then just quickly just just repent Lord, thank you for showing me that. Lord, thank you for showing me that I had hoped in time. I had placed confident expectation in the days going by that it would fix problems. And Lord, it was misplaced, and I'm sorry. I thank you for your grace that just not just shows me that I'm wrong, but pulls me out of the pit that I dug myself into and sets me upon the rock so I can correctly place my hope in you, the author and finisher of our faith. I have confident expectation now in you, Jesus, alone, that you're going to do everything that you said you would do, nothing less, that you will fulfill every one of your promises to your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you love to pour out goodness over your children. Thank you, Lord, that you love to lift us up. You love to hold us tight, loving Father. You are the God of hope. You are the God of confident expectation. We love you, and our hope is in you this morning, Lord.